Hey, once again, I want to welcome you to Grace Life. I want to welcome you to celebrating Easter with us. As Kalia said a moment ago, especially if you're a guest, we're so glad to have you here today because you truly could be anywhere. And I know to celebrate Easter, it's a special day. It's like, uh, it's like going out for your favorite meal on your birthday. Like you go to the best restaurant you can find, right? You know, and so for you to say, I will, I will come here and trust Grace Life with this celebration. We're so honored. So grateful to have you here. But you know, today is like the biggest celebration we have as Christians, right? It's actually better than that birthday I just talked about. I know some of you, that's, that's tough for you to figure out. Today's better than your birthday. Today's better than your wedding anniversary, which is good, guys. Look, we did you a favor. You don't have to keep up with the date for Easter. We tell you when it is every year. But you see, this is the day we get to celebrate that Jesus died for us. And we're forgiven. That our sins are washed away. And then you get to add to that the celebration that Jesus didn't stay dead. This is what this day is all about, an amazing day, right? So, uh, you know, as I prepare to preach for Easter every year, there's a, a very small section of the Bible you get to use on Easter Sunday. It, so, so it kind of limits the story, right? Everybody knows the story you're going to hear today. And so I, I take a lot of time, usually months out, asking God, how can I tell a story that most everybody's heard? The truth is I expect most everyone here today is here because of that story. Maybe some of you are guests and maybe it's not as familiar, but most people are like, they, they know what we're, we're worshiping about today and what the story is. And so I, I, I took some time to say, God, what can, we, what can we talk about? How can we tell the story in a way that will, that will prick people's hearts, that will do something different, especially when it's a story that's been heard so many times. And so I just started reading through the, the story months ago and just looking at things. And, and a particular thought came to mind for me as I'm reading the Easter story. And it was the thought of just how wrong everything was. You ever thought about that? You know, we're celebrating today. And like, we've got smiles on our faces. We're shouting, our hands are in the air. We're cheering. You're gonna go home and have one of your best meals. I mean, like, this is a great day for us. And the reason for that is because we're only looking at the end of the story. We're celebrating the end of the story. It's kind of that saying, all is well that ends well. I don't actually believe that in real life. That doesn't give you permission to do anything as long as it turns out right. But it's kind of how the Easter story goes. And I think something that could really help us today is if we look at just how wrong that story truly was. Because here's the deal. God took one of the greatest wrongs, the greatest wrong in all of history, and made it right. And if we can grasp just how wrong that was and see the power of God moving, then I think that we can get something for our today. Matter of fact, when you look around your world today and you look at, at, at all that is wrong, how does that make you feel? I mean, do you ever just look at things and just go, God, seriously, when are you gonna do something about this? I, I'm a news guy, I look at the headlines every day. I'm telling you, there's no headline except all that's wrong, all the injustice in the world, all that's broken, all the ungodliness. I mean, how about your own life? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you, life just seems to be one step forward, two steps back, no matter what? Maybe if you're a student at school, somebody said something, it's not true, it turned into something else, got posted on social media, now there's a rumor, and, and, and it's just wrecked your life. 
And the thing you're most grateful for today is that you're in the middle of spring break and you don't have to see those people tomorrow. Sometimes we just want to scream at all that is wrong. Matter of fact, I want to show you what we, we celebrate today. It was actually a prophecy about Jesus about 700 years before he was ever to walk upon the earth. It's out of the book of Isaiah. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. We love that. We get peace. We get healing. We get forgiveness. So right for you and me, but so wrong for him. He had to be punished, and he never did anything. He suffered the suffering we deserved. His wounds, not ours. Are y'all getting that? My... My goal for us today, what I think can help us the most, is if we can see what God has done, because what I really want to do, I, I want you to have hope for your tomorrow. You see, if all we do is have a great celebration today, and then tomorrow wake back up and look at the headlines and go back to school and go back to work and see just how wrong everything is, well, then we're going to miss something. And so what I think we can do today is look at what was so wrong 2,000 years ago, and how God turned that for good. And so uh, it'll be easiest if you just follow along with the screen here because, well, it is a rather lengthy story, and I'm going to walk us through not particularly every single verse. We're going to start in John 18. It says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. What that means is a group of religious leaders who had come to hate Jesus simply because he threatened their money and their position and their power. Because he was pointing people to God in truth and they were pointing people to them so that they could maintain their hold on the people. They'd come to hate him. So they went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. I don't know, I think that's kind of wrong. You ever been betrayed by a friend? It was one of his disciples, one of those closest to him, one of those who got to be behind closed doors that turned against him. He was arrested for confronting evil and ungodliness. I would call that wrong, would you? And so then they took him off and they had a sham trial. It wasn't even a trial they were allowed to have in the way that they had it. And once they, they came up with their results, they wanted to do something to Jesus they weren't allowed to do wrong. So they turned him over to a pagan empire, the Roman government, that they hated more than anything upon the earth because the Romans were conquering the whole world and they had taken over God's people and the nation of Israel. They hated them. But they thought, we'll make friends with our enemies just for a moment. I'd call that wrong. So they took him to the Roman governor, Pilate, if you've ever read the story and wondered who he was and what his role was. His job was to represent the Romans and keep the peace. So when they brought him to Pilate, Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. At this point in the story, I'm a fan of Pilate. He won't stay that way for long, but I'm like, you tell them. But the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They've decided they're going to kill him no matter what. I would call that wrong. And they're going to do it even though they know it's illegal according to their law. That's wrong. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? 
You know, some people had secretly hoped Jesus would be the king of the Jews and set them free from the Romans. But at this point, that's no longer a nice thing to say about him. It's what they're using as the accusation. He claims he's the king of the Jews. And look, we, we don't have any king except Caesar. So they were using it actually to try and kill him. So he says, are you the king of the Jews? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done, man? And you can just imagine the conversation. But Jesus answered him, well, you're the one that says I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. So Pilate went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt. If I find no guilt in him, there's nothing wrong with him. But you know what? You guys have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. That's what they were celebrating at the time was the Passover feast. One of their greatest celebrations of the year is every year they remembered that God had delivered them from slavery hundreds of years earlier. And so he says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So wait a minute. A person who has all authority to do the right thing says, I find no guilt in him and he doesn't release him. I think that's wrong. And then he lets the crowd vote on an innocent man's life. I would call that wrong. Anybody with me? So then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. He was hoping that he could appease the people. He's declared innocent and yet he's still beaten. I would call that wrong. So then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they arrayed him in a purple robe and they came up to him saying, Hell, King of the Jews. For the record, they were not singing it like you and I were a minute ago. At this point, it is total mockery, making fun of him. And they struck him with their hands. Soldiers are hitting him. They're mocking him. They're stabbing his face with the, the thorns as they press the crown down. It's going into his flesh and blood is running down his face. I would call that wrong. So Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. Pilate is doing everything he can to try and get them to back off. He's like, look, there's nothing wrong. And look at him. He's got blood running down his face. He's got holes in his head and he's beaten. Man, like, what's enough? He's hoping the crowd will finally be a little touched and go, okay, okay, that's looking scary. We, we, we stop. But just the opposite happened. When the chief priest and officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. People calling for your death, even though you're innocent, I'd call that wrong. From then on, throughout the rest of the situation, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Just to give you a little context here, the emperor wanted to make sure that everything stayed nice and peaceful. He wanted no trouble. So he put these governors in situations over people and said, your job, if you want to keep your head, and your job is to keep the peace. You see, Pilate didn't live here. They're in Jerusalem for this great feast, but Pilate didn't live there. He lived in a palace by the Mediterranean Sea, but he would have to go to Jerusalem when they had these great feasts because all of the religious fervor that they would have, and it would get stirred up and people would get into fights. And so Pilate would go there just to keep the peace so that he could keep his palace and keep his position. So they knew exactly what they were doing. They weren't getting the point across. Pilate kept coming out. He's innocent. What do you want me to do now? He's innocent. What do you want me to do now? He's innocent. 
So finally, they, they went for politics. Man, you want to talk about wrong? Hey, if you don't let, if you don't kill this guy, if you let him go, you're not Caesar's friend. Caesar's going to take your palace away. He's going to take your head away. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Condemned purely to keep the peace. That's wrong. Condemned to appease a crowd. That's wrong. And killed so that a man could keep his political position and fancy house. That's very wrong. You guys with me? Here's the truth, actually. There has never been a greater wrong in all of history than what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Never. Nothing that you read about in a history book, nothing that you and I have experienced, nothing that we have ever seen has ever been as wrong as what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. So why do we come together once a year to celebrate such a great wrong? Well, this is our best moment. Because God took such a horrible wrong and made it the greatest right in all of history. Let me give you the good news in case you've missed it. Here's what the Bible says. When you and I were dead in our sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge which stood against us and condemned us. Actually, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross through the body of Jesus. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, so that now everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're ever going to cheer, that's your moment. God took the greatest wrong in all of history and made it the greatest right. But don't miss this. If you're only here today to remember something that happened 2,000 years ago, you're missing out. Because the God that did that 2,000 years ago is still operating today. He is still on his throne and he is still moving in your life. So what I want to do today is to help you walk away with something that will make sense and be very practical to you. I hope when you sit down for Easter dinner or when you go to work tomorrow, you're not just remembering an incredibly great event. Worth remembering, don't misunderstand me, fully worth worship. But it is so much more. God is still moving in your life today. I want to ask you this. As you look at your world, your life, do you see something that you would just say is wrong? Just wrong. Like, God, seriously, what are you doing? God. Maybe it's a struggle in your marriage. You feel like you've done everything you can do to be a good spouse, and no matter what, the other person just won't respond. Maybe it's a a broken relationship with a friend or a family member. They got a perspective of something that happened and, and now they're just all bent out of shape and they haven't talked to you and they won't listen to anything you try to do to make it right. Maybe you have a broken heart. Maybe it's a mental health struggle that someone you love is going through or maybe even yourself. Maybe it's an incredibly unjust circumstance. We have a lot of those upon the earth, you know. I mean, everything that happened to Jesus was unjust. Maybe what's wrong is all the worry and the anxiety that you're experiencing in your life that has led to so much fear. The fear is greater than what's wrong in the first place. You know, you're not alone. The Bible is actually full of stories. If you were to ask me, I'd say you'll probably find more stories of people whose lives were wrong, shouldn't have been the way they were, because they always we get to see how God moves in the midst of those. There was a guy named Joseph who happened to have the 
displeasure of being the, the baby in the family, so to speak, the youngest sibling. He had 10 older brothers. And, and just for having 10 older brothers that didn't always like what he said and did, they threw him in a pit and tried to claim that he was dead. Now, I happen to be the youngest sibling in my family, so I take this one like personally. Anybody here the youngest sibling? And just, there you go. Now imagine, I mean, were you ever like locked in the closet by, you know, like your older siblings? Okay, imagine they didn't lock you in a the closet. They threw you in a pit. They were going to leave you for dead. And then the good news is they decide they're going to get you out of the pit. You're like, yay, except you find out the only reason you're getting out of the pit is so you can be sold into slavery, never to be heard from again. That's tough. All because you had big brothers that didn't like you. And then when you get to where you're going as a slave, you get accused of a crime you didn't commit. It only gets worse. It only gets more wronger. I know it's not a word. Just go with me. <laughs> but God. Two best words in the Bible. But God somehow took all that wrong, raised Joseph to the second highest position in the land at the right hand of the king. Only no one higher than him except the king. And God used Joseph to be the one person upon the earth to rescue the entire known world at that time from a famine. How about a woman named Leah? Just the opposite, not the youngest sibling. She was the oldest sibling. And because of a custom that the oldest has to be married off first, she had to be married to someone who didn't love her and would never love her in her entire life. Unloved with her husband. But out of her children came the birth line for Jesus. Do you see how God takes that which is so wrong and makes it so right? Let me ask you a question. Do you trust God? When you read those stories and you think of Joseph and, and Leah and, and so many other stories in the Bible, do you trust God in the midst of all that you see wrong in your life in the world? I'm glad most of you didn't nod your head. A couple of you did. Thank you. You're in church. That's what you're supposed to do. Good job. <laughs> But I appreciate the honesty from the rest of you. And I want to give you permission to be honest right now. I want to give you permission to say, no, Jimmy, I don't. There's just too much wrong. And I don't really know how God would ever use all of this. I don't know how God would ever fix any of this. So actually, I want to invite you to something we're going to do starting next week. This is a rather intentional moment, actually. I felt from God it would be great if we could take the Easter message to help you connect with the world you actually live in and invite you back to a series. We're going to do a series starting next week simply called When Life Hurts. Y'all know life hurts sometimes, doesn't it? But what we need to understand is even when life hurts, we still have a good God who is on the throne who is greater than anything we face and he is still taking what is wrong and turning it to right. And sometimes we just need to get an answer for what is God doing in the midst of those circumstances. So I want to invite you back next week if your life is not perfect. For those of you whose life is perfect, I'm sure there's another church you can visit for a few weeks. But <laughs> The second thing I want to ask you is, if, is, is there something that's wrong when you look in the mirror? You know, some of us, if we were to talk about all that's wrong in our lives, we're going to point to the circumstances around us and say, God, would you do something there? But there are some of us that have lost hope because when we say something is wrong, it's what we see. We look in the mirror. We look at our, our own mistakes and our own sins and our own choices. And we say, God could never love that. Because the one reality you and I face today is we can't go back in time. You can't undo any of the things you've done that you hate yourself for and that you think everyone else hates you for and that you think God could never forgive you for. 
See, the devil whispers, God could never love that. Actually, the devil lies. Did y'all know that? Matter of fact, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved you that he sent his only son to die for you. It's God's love in the midst of when you needed it most. Matter of fact, let me tell you one more story in the Bible. It's a guy named Judah. And the truth is, I'm not going to tell you Judah's story because it is one of the most deplorable stories in all of the Bible. And it's Easter and I'm just not going there. I mean, it's like embarrassing. And Judah did something that was so utterly ungodly, got into such a sinful situation. But the child that was born of that situation went on to be the lineage of Jesus, so much so that one of the names we give to Jesus is the Lion of Judah. I want you to think about that. Because everything you and I have done wrong when we look in the mirror, that's like the thing we try to keep secret. We don't want to tell anybody. We want to take our worst sins and kind of sweep them under the rug and hope nobody ever knows about them. And yet, the Lion of Judah, seriously, God, don't you want us to like forget what Judah did? Why are we going to keep bringing him up because God loves to take what is wrong and show how strong and powerful he is at redeeming and making right. Even your own sins. Matter of fact, this is actually the promise of God. It's in Romans 8, 28. If you've been to church, you've probably heard this. Every pastor loves to preach this, but it's real simple. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And that's what makes us get out of bed every day and go, wow, this is amazing. God loves us. And he is going to make everything that we're going through that, that we wish we weren't going through. He's going to make everything suddenly go right. And it's going to be amazing. And we get all excited about it. But I'm going to make this incredibly practical for you today because I don't want to give you a false hope. And some of you are going to cling to a promise you don't get to cling to at this moment. That promise isn't for everyone. There you go. That's the good news you came to church to hear on Easter. But you need to know it. Before you leave, I'm going to tell you how to get that promise. But you need to know right now that promise does not apply to everyone. It does not apply to humanity. That is not a scripture that was written to every person who was born a human. It said, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, love God. And many of you go, well, it's Easter, Jimmy, and I'm in church. I got dressed up and I came out early, so I love God. No, actually, that's not what the phrase means. You like God if you're here. You see, I grew up going to church two to three times a week when I was a kid, and I liked God. I liked what people said about God. I liked the stories about God. In my opinion, God was always the hero of the story. I liked who he was. I liked the idea that there was a great and loving being out there, but I never had a relationship with him. I just heard a lot of stories about him, heard a lot of sermons about him. It wasn't until I was 16 years old that I understood I actually had to engage with what Easter is all about. Jesus died on the cross to save us. It requires a personal relationship. Matter of fact, here's what we know is that for those who call on Jesus to be their king, to be Lord and Savior, he puts a spirit inside of us. Not everybody has the spirit of Christ living inside of them. And when he puts his spirit inside of us, the Bible says that then because of the spirit in us, we cry out, Abba, Father, those who love God. You see, that whole word Abba actually means daddy. But it's not just that you know the word daddy, it's that you have the privilege to use the word daddy. You see, God causes all things, all the wrong that's in the world to work for the 
right for the good of those who can look at the creator of the universe and say, Daddy, I need your help. That's who the promise is for. See, I've got four children and there are promises outstanding for them. I'll do anything for them. I will die for them. I think some of them are counting the bank account, kind of like looking at some future promises there. Like, I ain't got a long way. But that promise is for them. Four. Not for any of you. And when God says he will cause all things, all things wrong, to work together for the good, to make right, it's for those who have the spirit of Christ living inside of them that look at the one true God on the throne and say, Daddy. Second thing I want you to know, because I want you to have this promise when you leave today, the second thing you need to know, said, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for everything in the universe. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And it's so important for you and I to understand that. Because if we're apart from what God's purpose is, then we're going to probably run into a few things that aren't going the right way. Matter of fact, if we could just go back to Jesus for a minute, can we, can we do that? There was actually something necessary for God to take all that was wrong 2,000 years ago as Jesus was hanging on the cross, as Jesus was facing persecution from people unfairly, as Jesus was declared innocent but then being condemned, for all of that wrong to be made right, there was something necessary. And that was that Jesus would surrender to the purpose and the plan of the Father for his life. You do realize it would have been a different story if Jesus had said, hmm, yep, not gonna do that. I think I got another idea. Now, some of you may know the story that actually the night before, the night as Jesus was arrested, he went to the garden and he went and he prayed and he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass. See, what we have to realize, Jesus was fully God. He was also fully man. And the man part of him had watched crucifixion. It was one of the great things the Romans would do as they traveled around. They would quickly crucify people so as others watched, they would just bow down and get in line. Because you see, crucifixion was not the most effective means of killing. But it was the most effective means of torture that ended in death. I mean, it's one thing if somebody says, I'm going to kill you quickly and so quickly you'll never even know what happened. But this was a, an enduring, painful, excruciating process. Jesus, as man, had watched it take place. Jesus knew what his body was about to go through. And he went to the garden and said, Dad, if there is any other way. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. See, one of the important theological truths we have to know is the devil didn't win. You see, Pilate even challenged Jesus in his little interview. Hey, don't you know what I can do to you? And Jesus laughed. Is it? You can't do anything that's not been given to you from heaven. Jesus even told his disciples, his followers, like, look, no one's taking my life. Don't you give the devil credit. I lay my life down. You see what Jesus did in that moment that you and I need to do? He surrendered to the father's purpose and plan for his life. And because he was willing to trust the father in the midst of everything that was wrong, when a crowd is chanting for his death, 
When the only one who has power to set him free has said, you're innocent, but I'm not going to do anything because I want to keep my palace. When everything is wrong, when he knows the, the pain that he's about to experience, he said, yes, daddy, I trust you. And so God was able to take the greatest wrong in all of history and make it the greatest right. What you and I need to do, if we want this promise that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, if you want that in your life, then for many of us, we're gonna need to surrender to God's purpose and plan. I don't want you just leaving an Easter service remembering what God did 2,000 years ago. I want you seeing God do something today in your very life. But in order to do that, some of us are going to have to realize we've got a purpose and a plan that's over here. God's got a purpose and a plan that's over there. And as we get over here and we start doing life our own way, and we do marriage our own way, and we do money our own way, we do morality our own way, we do relationships our own way, you're going to look around and see a whole lot wrong. Don't be surprised. If you want God to make some of these things right, we're going to need to step over here and surrender to God because he has a purpose and he has a plan and he takes all things and turns them for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose that he has for them. You know the result for Jesus? He didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the tomb. Nope, God raised him from the dead. Sinners are saved. God's plan for mankind is being restored and Jesus has been exalted to the highest position and given the name above every name. Let me ask you, what do you think God might do in your life if you surrender to him? So I wanna leave you with a little story that um, might hopefully give you some hope. My wife and I, together with a few other families, Kenton Lane Fancher right here, came to Columbia many years ago to see Grace Life Church become a thing. And unfortunately, it didn't quite go as we had all planned. Some things went rather wrong, you might say. We had given up our, our jobs where we were and we had sold our house that we loved. And well, the first wrong was that there was some hiring procedure that caused no one to ever see my resume. So I never got a job. As a result, the next wrong was that we lost all of the money that we had saved. Everything was gone. And then the ministry began to fall apart. The people that we had come here with, well, some of them had walked away from God and ministry altogether. Some started pointing fingers at each other and you're wondering, wait a minute, where, where is God in the midst of all of this? Then my wife and I went through the greatest personal loss we've ever experienced. And I remember so many days just waking up and saying, God, what are you doing? Why? Why are you letting this happen? But today, today God has made some right. Over thousands call Grace Life their home. Over 1,000 have actually made Jesus their king and will be going to heaven because of the worship services here. Baptized 69 last week alone. I don't, I don't say that so you can celebrate Grace Life. I say that so you can celebrate what God is doing because I, I, I want you to identify with one point in this story. What you see today isn't because of me. You see, at that point when it was so wrong, I said, peace out. Put my house up for sale, called all my friends who were pastors, tried to get a job. I was like, I'm done. God, if this is wrong and you're not going to do anything about it, I'm out of here. But nobody even looked at our house. And none of my friends wanted me, but that's a whole nother story for another day. <laughs> God boxed us in to give him time to take something wrong and turn it right. 
Some of you, God is boxed in. Some of you are kind of angry at God, maybe. Really frustrated, starting to lose hope because you've been boxed into something that is so, so wrong. Because God is just waiting for you to surrender so that he can make something so right. I'm living my dream right now only because I finally just fell on my knees and said, God, I don't, I'm done. And God said, okay, it's my turn. Sit back and watch. And that's what I want to encourage you for your life today. It's time to do what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and say, yes, Dad, I surrender. I surrender. I'm ready for what you're going to do. Amen? That's worth celebrating, everybody. Come on. God is good. Jesus is on the throne. We're hailing King Jesus because he is king. I want to close today one last thing. I want to make sure that any of you that are on the wrong side of wrong right now can change that. What I mean by the wrong side of wrong is that you have yet to make Jesus your king because God has fixed the sin problem. You see, every one of us is a sinner. That's the reality. Don't point fingers at the person beside you. Every one of us has either had a thought, said a word, done a thing. That's not perfectly holy, but our God is perfectly holy. Sin is just a word to describe that difference between us and God. That was wrong. But then God made it right when he sent Jesus to live a perfect life. That when he died on the cross and his blood was shed and his body was broken, you and I could be forgiven for our sins. When he was raised from the dead, you and I could be promised eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation. But some of us have never received that free gift. I want to close the day by giving you an opportunity to do that. I want to close today by giving you a chance to take that which is wrong and receive that which has been made right for you 2,000 years ago. Would everybody pray with me? If that's you and you've never made Jesus the king of your life, you've never exchanged the life you've been living, say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. My prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?